welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are not sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. There are these prayer booklets. And these prayer booklets cover 13 weeks of the series we are going through right now. And so if you want sermon recaps, they are in here. If you want questions for your family, they're in here. If you want questions for your gospel community, they are in here. Really, we tried to make these things all that would encompass everything that we're going through during this series. Uh, there are actually also short little daily devotions. If you are someone who has never spent time with God every morning, every night, every day, this is a really easy way to start. It's just one simple verse and a question, but hopefully that will get you into a habit of beginning to spend time with God every single day. And by the end of that, hopefully that will then continue. But you can grab one of these. And as I keep saying, what's not in there is a place to take sermon notes if you want to take notes. So what we have are these prayer journals, and those are also on the communion tables around the room. And you can take sermon notes in here, write things down. It'd be great if you started writing down maybe some of the prayers that you're praying through. And from beginning to the end of the series, you could see the things that God is doing in your life as you begin to pray and trust Him through all the things that we're going through. Also, on the communion tables, you can grab one of those. Every, it's all free. Just if you lost one, don't feel like you can't get another one. You can grab one. That's that's kind of what they're there for. Uh, if you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get the sermon notes. You'll get some of the questions. Uh, you'll get the verses that we're going through and all the stuff that Sarah talked about as well. That is all in there. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Psalm 88, verses 1 and 2. And it says, O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take us and move us to a place where we understand that you do hear our cry, even in the most difficult moments of our lives. And I ask that you would teach us to trust you in those moments more than we trust all the other voices around us. That we come to the place that we'd understand and see you as sovereign and full of grace and mercy and that you are good and that we would walk with you each step of our lives. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so as I said, we are doing a series on prayer. It's going to go right up to January 1st, all kind of coming together. It is 13 weeks. This is week 10 of the series. And some people think, whoo, 13 weeks on prayer, that's a really long time. But as we're kind of hitting this home stretch, I'm feeling like it's not long enough. I feel like I could have done four or five more weeks. But then that's just me, and I like to learn, and I want to help you learn. And you're probably thinking, thank God you didn't do four or five more weeks. I get it, okay? But prayer is something that people are unsure of, how to do it, especially out loud or do it correctly. And hopefully through this series, we've given you a greater appreciation for what it is so you would step into it and you wouldn't have all this anxiety around you. Because some, prayer is something we should have as part of our lives because it is about communion with God. And if you've missed any of this series, please feel free to go back and listen to it. We have been finding prayer in an old but hopefully new way for you, and that is prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through His Word and provided by His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him. That prayer starts with God revealing Himself, because we can't figure out who God is on our own. 
too many people today in our world are trying to do that. This is who I think God is. And then they pray to that thing. You're not praying to God. Prayer is God revealing himself to us in his word. That is grace. And then as we understand better who he is, we get to have a full encounter with him. So what we've been doing is towards the end of this series is we're trying to give you case studies on different people and how they then prayed in the Bible, these real prayers. You know, how they talked to God, how they sought him. Some of the things are shocking. Some of the things are very extreme, like the guy we're going to look at today. And I really do feel a little weird about what I'm going to talk to you about today because I always tell you, don't take what's in your head and try and pigeonhole it into the Bible. You're never supposed to do that. And yet today, I'm going to give you a prayer from a guy who when I did this prayer series, I'm like, I'm going to talk about this guy no matter what. So I'm not pigeonholing what I think, but I am talking about this guy because I really wanted to because I couldn't let a series on prayer go by without talking about He-Man and the masters of the universe. Now you can open your Bible to Psalm chapter 88. That's on page 317 if you have an element Bible. And this Psalm is by He-Man and the power of Grace School. No, uh, technically you'd probably say his name, Haman, but when I say He-Man, that is the only levity you're going to get in this message whatsoever because it's a very depressing psalm. So you're welcome that I'm going to do this. You've got to indulge me. I am a child of the 80s, so there you go. The note at the beginning of this psalm says, To the choir master, according to Mahalath, Lianoth, a masculine, that's a musical term, of He-Man, the Ezraite. Now again, I'm going to warn you, this is very depressing. And I am not going to read to you the whole psalm, so what I did, if you've been here, at the very end of the services, we have someone give a little recap of things going on in their life, and then they pray for us. And the people are going to pray at the very end of the service. I asked them to read this psalm for you. So this is Jason and Katie, and they're going to read the whole thing. Here it is. Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. 
Now, when we get to the end, you're going to see why I asked Jason and Katie to read that and kind of round out today. But I'll tell you, Christmas time, we're just hitting it. And there are people who sit in a lot of places of depression when you hit Christmas time. They feel like, I don't have any family. I have no one around. And it brings a lot of pain to them. And I've told you this too. Spirituality in our culture is very popular today. Statistically speaking, you will run into more people on the street that says they are spiritual than brush their teeth every single day. That could be an indicator of something, by the way. So today, we're going to look at a prayer in a very spiritual book known as the Psalms. The Psalms is a book, it's prayers and poems and songs of people who are happy and people who are sad and people who are suffering and people who have come out of suffering, people who are really excited and people who are in the midst of a place of saying, I want to be excited about you asking God for relief. And even in a lot of the Psalms, you'll hear some things that sound very negative, like, God, I'm scared to death, God, I'm afraid. But usually they get to the end and they'll say, but I will have hope in you, but not He-Man. Not in his prayer. It's like Skeletor is coming for him and he's undone by the position he finds himself in. And really, other than He-Man's prayer in Psalm 88, the only other prayer that really ends with no hope is Psalm 39. And I don't want to just make you feel depressed if you're not today, but we really need to look at what is actually said here. Three times He-Man prays about overwhelming darkness. Verse 6, he will say, You have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions dark and deep. Verse 12, he will say, Are your one known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. Verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And I know if you've watched the cartoon, it really does sound like the cartoon. He's buried by a mountain. All the light is going out. He can't see. And then he goes and he pulls out his magic sword by the power of Grayskull. And then all of a sudden the light comes flooding in. But you have to understand this isn't a cartoon. And this is real life. And a lot of people feel this way. It's a very depressing psalm. Even the very last word in the entire psalm is the word darkness. If you have an NIV, it will say, darkness is my closest friend. Like that, hello darkness, my closest friend. But if the very last word in the entire psalm is actually darkness. It has that connotation. This is now my companion. Then this is something we've got to ask ourselves. Because what kind of prayer has the word darkness as the very last word? Have you ever prayed like that? God, darkness. Amen. You ever done that? Probably not. Probably not. And so I think there are a lot of people today who would even question, should we even study something this dark? See what I did there? (laughs) Anyway, um, I think it's important to study this because suffering is part of life. And it can do us a whole lot of good when we listen to God and seek Him in the midst of it. Growth happens in the hardest times. And yet none of us pray for hard times. None of us ask God, Oh God, please bring something really difficult into my life right now. We don't do that. But what we want to do is pray and say, God, I want to commune with you and walk with you through this so I would see the glory and the majesty of who you are and I would trust you in the midst of all of these things. I think that He-Man can help us because too often we remain so naive about the inevitability of suffering in our lives. And so today, I'm going to give you four things about darkness that come from this really honest prayer. So if you're taking notes, here you go. Number one is this. Spiritual and personal darkness is real, and it can last a very long time. And you have to be honest about that, because there are people who struggle with darkness and depression. And too many people in churches think, well, you only struggle with this because you don't trust Jesus enough. And if you trust Jesus more, well, this would all go away. And that may not actually be true. Are there times trusting Jesus can lead you? out of places of despair and darkness? Of course, of course, but that's not always the case. And so we have to intellectually and emotionally be honest as we deal with the darkness that is around us and other people's darkness and our own. He-Man's prayer in Psalm 88 is a prayer that really kind of ends without hope. 
And so what's the teaching in that? I think it's showing reality. It's showing reality that there are times that you can pray and pray and pray like He-Man. you got that whole prayer. He prays and he prays and prays. You can do everything you think you know should, you should be doing. Crying out to God, believing in God, living as rightly as you think you know how, and yet you still feel like you are in darkness. Does that mean God isn't there? Does that mean God doesn't hear? Of course not. God hears. And there's a difference between what we feel versus the reality. And sometimes our feelings overwhelm us. Now, there's two kinds of darkness that He-Man talks about during this prayer. And he will talk about outside darkness and inside darkness. So outside darkness, Psalm 88, verses 6 and 7 says, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me, overwhelm me with all of your waves. Now, obviously, there's more than just those two verses about outside darkness, but I'm just giving you an example. Outside darkness is what is occurring in He-Man's life. We don't know all the problems that are taking place here, but that's not the point. Because very seldom in the book of Psalms, when they cry out, do we know exactly what they're crying out for. Sometimes we do, but most of the times we actually don't. And that makes it better for us because it can relate to us in a variety of ways. We can relate to what's actually going on. So what we do know is that his closest friends have left him, his loved ones have been taken away, and it looks like death is coming for him next. The second thing you see then is what's called inside darkness. Here's an example, Psalm 88 verse 9. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call on you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Now, there's more than just that one example of inside darkness, but all the pressures on the outside are now pushing on the inside as well. This is a person who starts out the beginning of the psalm and he says, the God who saves me. So you know he trusts in God. This means we can trust in Jesus and still have times where our hearts and our feelings cannot sense God's presence. And this is true for us today in our head that we understand, we know the gospel, we know what it is, but our hearts are going through so much turmoil that you can't really feel it. And sometimes our hearts fight so hard against what our head actually knows. And He-Man feels like God's wrath is on him. He feels abandoned. He feels rejected by God. Now, we know God doesn't abandon those who are His. God doesn't leave His children. But that doesn't mean there aren't times we don't feel that way. And this is why it's so important for us to understand the gospel, that God has come to us in Christ to rescue and save us, and we allow the gospel to speak into our feelings. This is one of the reasons the Bible constantly tells us that our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts always want to pull us from the objective truth of God's love and grace and mercy over us. You ever get into a fight with, with a friend or a boss or a coworker if you're married, a spouse? That's an easy one, right? Never, ever. That would never happen. Well, you get in a fight, and maybe you feel like you just fought so much. They said something. You said something you shouldn't have said. You're like, this relationship just has to be over. I don't know how we're ever going to come back from this. And then maybe a week or so later, a day or so later, an hour or so later, maybe one of you sucks up their pride enough to go and apologize to the other person and reconcile. Well, I, have, uh, I used to talk to you about my dog, Haiti. She, she died this year. But my dog, Haiti, is, I, I'm going to give you, you're my dog in this analogy, okay? Um, so my dog, Haiti, if she did something wrong, she's a good dog, did things wrong, then you'd be like, Haiti, and she'd be like, <gasps> and then she would go and sit there and just look at you like this. And sometimes she knew what she was doing was wrong, and you just looked at her, and she'd be like, Right Now, with the dog, it's like about five minutes later, the dog's like, oh, you love me again, it's so great, oh, you're one, right? You know, with humans, it's a little bit longer than that, but there seems to always be that, oh, the, the skies have parted, I feel better, things are working out. We get that feeling, but He-Man is saying he's not getting that. 
He's still sitting in the darkness like everything has overwhelmed him. And it's interesting because when I was putting this message together, I was talking to you through the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, he looks up and he sees all this darkness on the horizon. It's like, God, have you seen my country? Have you seen the decisions they're making? Have you seen what they're doing to people? And God says, yes. And he says, God, do something about it. And God says, I am. I'm going to take the Babylonians and I'm going to bring them in and wipe out your country. And Habakkuk's like, that's a bad plan. What do you, why? Why would you use someone more evil than us? And it's like, here's darkness. And God's like, I'm going to fix it with more darkness. And Habakkuk's like, what is going on here? And this is what He-Man feels like every time he prays. There's just more darkness on top of that. This psalm is a tough message because it's saying you can be a quote-unquote good person. You can pray like crazy and still everything can go wrong. To the point that you do not feel like you can even feel the presence of God. And you say, doesn't the Bible say that God's always working everything out for His glory and, and our good and God has a purpose behind everything? Yeah, yeah, the Bible does say that. But it also tells us we don't know what that ultimate purpose is. And so we don't know why we sit in the darkness that we do or why God allows it to stay where it is. We, in the end, don't have any idea what that purpose is except His glory and our eventual good. Uh, Martin Marty, I, I don't know why his mom would name Anyway, Martin Marty, uh, he's a commentator, says about Psalm 88, Whoever tries to devise from the scripture a philosophy of life in which everything always turns out right in the end will have to begin by tearing this page right out of the Bible. American Christianity seems to rebel against the idea that any of our hardships can actually come from God. And yet, it seems to be the lot of God's people throughout most of history. Earlier this year in the book of James, we talked through this in some places. I, I told you that Tim Keller said this, To a great degree, it makes suffering suffering, and what makes trouble troubling is not the event itself, but what we tell ourselves about the event. And he gives this great illustration. He says, if you go to a hotel and you have a, a young couple, they just get married, they're on their honeymoon, first night together, and they say, we want the honeymoon suite. And they say, okay. And they take this couple and stick them in the basement in a tiny little room, and it's like, this, this is terrible. We don't want this for our first night as a married couple. But if you took someone who was incarcerated at Alcatraz in the dank and the, and the stink and the muck and the mold and you offered them the very same room, they'd be like, oh, this is a great room. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Nothing has changed about the room except they had different expectations. And in America today, in Christianity, we have this expectation that God has to bless me. God has to give me everything I want. See, if we think, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person, God would never let something like that happen, you've got to take a step back and ask, why would you think that? Look at Jesus, the best person who ever lived, and he was crucified for our sins. And if that happened to him, what makes us think we're above him? Psalm 88 helps us to be more wise in how we see life and hardship. So, with that in mind, as bad as darkness is, number two, if you're writing this down, darkness can also show us God's grace. The darkness can show us God's grace. Well, how? Well, times of darkness are some of the very best times to see that God actually still cares for us. So, in this prayer, he, man, he is not controlling his temper. He's not controlling his tongue. His emotions are out of control. It's almost like he's cross-examining God. But, who's he talking to? You're in church. You can say it. 
God. He's talking to Jesus, talking to God. That's who he's talking to. So he hasn't stopped talking to God. He's saying all these things, but he's saying it to God. Psalm 88, verse 10. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in a baden? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? He's kind of saying, God, I want to praise you. I want to tell everyone about your faithfulness. But how can I right now when I feel like I'm trampled to the ground? I want to praise you, but I feel like you're not answering me. And then God still doesn't answer him. Verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. And what you see that he's doing is he's taking the difficulty that he finds himself in his present and he reads his entire life into those moments. Oh, you've never been there for me, God. And you can tell, you know, this, that's not true. That's not true. Now, if you're like me and, and you watch the cartoon, you know, the He-Man and that, you're like, come on, He-Man. I, I expected more from you, right? Well, don't be so self-centered in this. He's not speaking respectfully or reverently to God. He's obviously exaggerating to say, you've never been there for me. You've never done anything good for me. And that only makes this psalm greater evidence of God's grace. You know why? Because this is the Old Testament. And God doesn't just smite him on the spot. And what actually happens is that God includes this psalm so that we can read it and see He-Man's words. Uh, Derek Kidner, when he talks about this, he says prayers like Psalm 88 and Psalm 39 in the Bible are a witness to God's understanding. That God knows how we speak when we're a desperate people. Again, God doesn't smite He-Man. He makes sure this prayer is included for us to read millennia later. It's not that we should talk to God like this. We shouldn't. But it's saying that God is not just God when we put on a happy face. And He's also God in the times that we don't. And we don't need perfect emotional self-control. Because God remains our God because of His grace. Not because of our works. Not because of what we do. Our relationship with Him is based upon what He has done. Not our performance. Is based on his unconditional, covenantal, committed love for us. Today, people come along and they will give, give like two extremes. Either you're a good soldier for God, you never question, you just keep doing this, or they say, look how mean God's been. Well, you should just reject God and walk away and never talk to him, disbelieve who he is. God, I don't see how you could bring anything good out of this. I don't see why you allow this suffering and evil in the world. Therefore, I'm not going to believe in you. And it seems like He-Man's teetering on the brink of falling into that thing, thinking God isn't good, and it's sad. Yet, by keeping these prayers in the Bible, God is showing that He does identify with their people and their struggles. It's like God is saying, I am still the God of that man, no matter how He feels. No matter how He feels. Derek Kidner believes this is why you see the very real presence of God in a prayer like this in the book of Psalms. Third thing is this. In this darkness, God is going to grow us into who we are always meant to be when we trust Him in the midst of it. In darkness, we see. Do we serve and worship God for who He is, or do we only serve and worship God because of what we think we can get from Him? Back in the book of Job, last year we did a little booklet just like that prayer booklet. And I talked to you about this there. The book of Job starts and Satan's kind of taunting God and saying, Oh, does Job serve you, God, for nothing? Is, is that what Job does? And when he says that, he's really saying it about every single one of us. Any person who has ever said, God, I want to love you more than anything in the world. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. He really says that about all of us. Because he's like, God, they say they want to love you, but look at your devoted followers. They're believers. They're not really serving 
serving you. They only serve you for what they think they can get from you. Hashtag blessed. If you didn't hashtag bless them, would they really still serve and follow you? Satan is convinced because of his own heart, I think, that no one serves God just for God. That the majority of people only serve because of what we think we can get. And sometimes I'm inclined to even agree with that. Because many times in America, in the church, what we do is we tell everybody, God's going to give you everything you want. Oh, you just follow Jesus, you get your fire insurance, and he blesses you. Guys, God allows hardship. I told you about this before. Um, Mother Teresa, and a lot of people have thoughts about her. I I get it. Okay, she wasn't perfect. I get it. But Mother Teresa wanted to actually serve Jesus from the time she was real young. Before she goes on the mission field, she writes in her journal, I want to love Jesus as he has never been loved before. I feel like I have said that before in my life. That, That could have been me. She has an undeniable sense of God calling her in her life. And she writes this, My soul at present is in perfect peace and joy. So what does she do? She left her home. She becomes a missionary. She gives him everything. And then on that mission field, God goes silent. He goes dark. At least that's how it felt to her. And listen to this. This is what she writes in her journal. And it sounds just like He-Man. She says, where is my faith? Even deep down, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. Wow. My God, how painful is this unknown pain? I have no faith. She sounds like He-Man. And in the end, she wanted all of her secret journals and letters destroyed because she thought it would go and hurt people's faith. But the interesting thing is, the willingness that she persisted in still going on the mission that God called her to in the midst of her doubts has actually helped people in their faith. It has comforted people in a way that certainty never really could. And I get it. Mother Teresa, if you read real stories about her, she can be mean. I mean, you don't want to get behind her in one of those taxi cabs because apparently she would yell at you. If she had something to get done, you didn't do it, she would yell at you. Richard Dawkins once said, do not be taken in by the sanctimoniously hypocritical Mother Teresa. Uh, He is an atheist who wants people to be atheists. But I still don't think, you know, taking a shot at Mother Teresa is the best way to make people atheists, by the way. Anyway, uh, Teresa, in the end, does not reject God's call in her life. She has a friend, and she talked to this friend, and this friend told her three things. Number one is this. There is no human remedy for the silence of God. If God decides to go silent, he decides to go silent. Now, that doesn't mean if you're out, you know, doing the meth and selling drugs on the corner, you you should stop that, okay, because you're running from what God calls you to do. But, you know, there are times and places where God specifically goes silent. And second thing he says is, feeling the presence of Jesus was not the only or the primary evidence for his presence. In fact, the craving in her life was a sure sign that God was present in her life because he was drawing her to him. And the third thing he says is that the pain she was going through could actually be helpful for other people. Like Jesus experienced silence in Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his suffering becomes redemptive. And so he said, you know what? Your suffering in the midst of this can be helpful for other people. Trusting God in the midst of your darkness. I told you about this guy named David Winter who caught this disease and over the course of three weeks this disease robbed him of his sight. After he is blind for a couple years he writes this, never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. In darkness we get to see what our faith is truly like. Do we believe what we say we believe? Are we Christ-centered or are we self-centered? And one thing I appreciate, appreciate about Heman's prayer here is that Everything he does in this psalm is still a prayer to God. Everything. At the very end when he says, you know, your darkness is my closest friend, he's still saying that to God. He's with God. And maybe you're in a spot today when you step into Christmas and you got a lot of depression, all these things. Maybe all you can do is say to God, God, I don't understand. 
and I'm mad, and I don't see where the end of this is. But really, I want to be like Peter and say, where else could I ever go? You have the words of life. And so I will serve, and I'll pray, and I'll follow you because you're God and I'm not. You are not my servant. I don't follow you because you do nice things, but because you're God. And that, in the end, is how we grow. Because I will tell you, some people I know who have been through the grinder are some of the strongest people I've ever met. Number four. Last one. The darkness that we go through can always be lessened by a deeper and greater understanding of the gospel. And what is the gospel? That Christ came in our place, in our stead, to pay for our sins. He dies in our place and gives us his righteousness. He takes our death. He gives us his life. He man felt like God had abandoned him, that he had no purpose, that the darkness was absolute, but he was wrong. How do we know he was wrong? Well, most of the Psalms have titles. I read you the very beginning of it before I had Jason and Katie you know, read the verse to you. And it shows this Psalm is written by He-Man. And if you look through the scriptures, 1 Chronicles chapter 6, it shows He-Man was the leader of the Kohathite guild of musicians and poets who wrote many of the Psalms. If you want to read them, they're in the 40s and the 80s. He also worked very closely with his kinsman named Asaph. And Asaph wrote 12 of the Psalms we use. So uh, probably 23 of the Psalms we have in the book of Psalms, He-Man most likely helped write. 23. And if He-Man helped write the greatest Psalms, that means he, pro- he produced some of the greatest artistry in the history of the world. Not in spite of his darkness, but really because of it. The darkness in the end turns him into an artist who helped millions of people. From his point of view, right, when he writes this, he thought the darkness was total. Is anybody ever going to understand what I'm going through, this darkness that I find myself in? Do you think He-Man could ever imagine 2,500 plus years later in Santa Maria, California, on a continent he didn't even know existed, that we would be reading this psalm and hopefully learning to trust God more in the midst of it? How crazy is that? See, He-Man was wrong. God hadn't abandoned him. He just felt abandoned by him. The darkness he felt was not actually absolute or total. It was what we call subjective. It was based upon his feelings and not objective, which is based upon truth. And I know that doesn't help you if you are sitting in the middle of darkness. I get that, but it's a good reminder of the truth. It is so easy to look back decades, centuries, millennia later and say, oh yeah, that's what God was doing in those places. God did bring me out of that. But how does that help you when you are in the middle of darkness? Well, again, I think these words of darkness can point us towards the gospel. Because again, and this is all written in the Old Testament. You go to Psalm 39. The very end of it says, Turn your face away from me, O God. You get to the end of Psalm 88. Darkness is my companion. But then you fast forward to the New Testament. Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. And it says this, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus sits in utter darkness. Jesus gets the ultimate darkness that He-Man only thought He had gotten, but He hadn't. All of God's wrath upon sin that would set us in darkness was not laid on He-Man. It was not laid on you. It's not laid on me. It's laid on Christ. And this is how we understand that Jesus, in the gospel, takes the ultimate darkness and we get to step in and be redeemed and be God's children again. Jesus gets the real wrath of God because God wants to bring us into his family. I think Satan's accusations against Job and against us are totally true. We are self-centered, every single one of us. We do exploit one another. It's the reason the world's in the state that it is in, because we want to exploit one another and God. We really deserve to have God turn his face away from us. And yet what he does in Christ is he draws us to himself. 
And we are a people who surrender our lives to him. We have God's grace laid upon us. And we are brought in. And Christ's death pays for our sins. We get to have relationship restored with God again. Because the only way we get relationship with God is to have our many sins taken care of by God himself. And all the justice against our sin is taken care of by Jesus. Jesus was truly abandoned. So when you only feel abandoned, you're not. You've got to understand, God does not take two payments for the same debt. He does not do it. So Jesus pays for our sins, which means there are answers to He-Man's angry questions and kind of sarcastic questions. Why? Well, in the middle of the psalm, He says this, Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Well, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the answer to that is, Yes! Yes! You do! Yay! He-Man thought He was like, Yeah, do people do this? And now we're like, Yeah! Yeah, they do! That's amazing, right? Jesus brings us to a place where we get to rise from the dead. We get to be a people who praise Him because He took the penalty for our sins Himself. If you understand the gospel, you can't know resurrection is coming and still feel like there's utter darkness. One commentator says this, Darkness can happen without you knowing why, but there are answers, there is a purpose, and eventually you will know it. How will we know it? Because of resurrection. Because of the gospel. That's how we know it. And you may be sitting in a place today in a, of darkness, of not knowing the beginning from the end, the left from the What am I supposed to do, God, in the midst of this? And yet, there is hope because God has promised to you when you trust in Christ, redemption and resurrection. And at resurrection, we get to see all that God was and is doing to bring us to himself. We get to see God's work in the world. We will get to look back on all of history, I believe, and we're going to say like, oh, he was working there. Oh, he was working there. Oh, he was working there. And all those places where you say, how could God bring any good out of this? Oh, look at this. How could, have you seen America's political system? How can God bring any good out of that? And we're going to be like, oh, oh. And we're going to see what he is doing. I think we're just going to be astounded at what he is doing. And yet in the midst of it, because of our emotions, because of how we feel and all of our fears, we don't see the beginning from the end. But God does, and he is good, and eventually we will know it. When you understand what the gospel truly is and what the gospel truly means, you can step in the midst of your darkness and know that your darkness is not the end. It is not total it is not overwhelming to a place where God has forsaken you because God allowed his son to die for our sins so he could bring us to himself. And that means we will never be forsaken when we trust in Christ. And this is why every week we take you to a place of communion where you come and you actually have to make that decision to get out of your chair to do this. You, you come and you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for every single one of us. We do this every week because Christ says, when you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And we want to remember what he did. And sometimes people sit in dark, it's like, I can't take communion. I feel so bad. My life is that. Yeah, this is a perfect day to take communion to come back and remember what Christ has done, to remind yourself of the good news of the gospel. Because of the gospel, your darkness is never total, and it is never absolute, because God is good. And if you need prayer today, uh, there's going to be people right across the way in the lounge to pray with you. Uh, you can hop up and leave during the songs if you want uh, and run over there and talk to them and pray with them. You can grab them after service. They'll still be there. And if you need prayer, maybe feel, you feel like you're in darkness. Maybe you feel like it is total, that you are going through something. You can't see the beginning from the end, and yet you just need some hope in that. They'd love to pray with you about that and talk with you about Jesus in the midst of it. 
Now, there's offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's always a response again, just like communion, just like prayer, just like song. It's a response as we understand the good news of the gracefulness and the generosity of our God who has come to save us. And I would then encourage you to grab one of those prayer booklets and look at the questions in there. And maybe this week, sit down with some of your friends or your family and your gospel community and go through some of those questions and talk about your places of darkness, where you feel like things are overwhelming. But then maybe you could also remind one another of the hope and the grace of resurrection that is promised and is true and is coming because God is true and good for His promises. Our focus should be upon Christ himself and not upon us, on him. And when our feelings are overwhelming, what we have to do is remember the objective truth of the gospel. That Christ has come for us in our place. When we trust in him, our sins are taken upon him, we get to rise to new life again. We are a people who will never be forsaken because God has promised that in Christ. So let's be a people who trust him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would take and move us to be a people who understand who you are in the midst of our hardest places. God, sometimes we sit in these really difficult moments and we wonder, are we ever going to find the other side of this? Am I ever going to step out of this? I feel like I've been in the middle of this for so long and I'm still dealing with it. And yet, God, you are faithful. And you are are good. When we are not good, you remain faithful and good. And so I ask that you would today remind us in the midst of whatever we're going through that resurrection is coming. That you remind us that you don't save us because we are so good and great that you need us, but you save us because you are merciful and kind. And that there is a place of justice for our sins, for how we've run from you. And that place of justice was at the cross. And so we would trust you in the midst of the places that we feel alone. And that would lead us to places of hope where we'd understand resurrection, that we'd understand that in the midst of our darkness there is always hope because we will never sit in ultimate and final darkness because Christ took that upon himself. And we get to step into new life with you. I ask that you would give us this great hope in the midst of our darkest places because you are good. Teach us to love and honor and serve you above all things and that you would be glorified by how we love and serve you even in dark places and that we love and serve you even in places where there isn't any darkness places where we're just excited and have a whole lot of great things going on but in all places and all times you would be glorified by our lives and we ask this in your son's good name amen i'm gonna drop the curtains as they do just take a couple moments right now and maybe talk to god about the place where you are right now maybe in the midst of your personal darkness or something that you're going through that you don't understand. Maybe there's something on the horizon or maybe you're like half the people want to talk to me after every service and and talk about uh, the election. (laughs) And all you see is darkness on the horizon with that. And it starts to overwhelm you. 
to a place where your focus leaves who Christ is and it starts to focus on this thing. Because I think the enemy loves that. When we get so, when our focus gets so much off Christ and onto these different things. And so take a couple moments right now and just say, God, would you recenter me on the person of Christ? Would you have me worship you right now? So I would begin to understand that my darkness is never total. And no matter what happens around me, it is never total. Because the total darkness was taken by Christ himself. And now we get to live in the hope of resurrection and new life. So let's be those people who pray that. And then come and take communion. Sing some songs with us. And let's be excited about the hope of what resurrection brings.